a black sleeveless blouse, white socks, and loafers. Although it was four hours away, she could hear her aunt's sniff of disapproval. When she was starting on her fourth cup of coffee, the Crescent Limited honked like a giant goose at its northbound mate and rumbled across the Chattahoochee into Alabama. The Chattahoochee is wide, flat, and muddy. It was low today. A yellow sandbar had reduced its flow to a trickle. Perhaps it sings in the wintertime, she thought. I do not remember a line of that poem. Piping down the valleys wild? No. Did he write to a waterfowl, or was it a waterfall? She sternly repressed a tendency to boisterousness when she reflected that Sidney Lanier must have been somewhat like her long-departed cousin, Joshua Singleton St. Clair, whose private literary preserves stretched from the black belt to Bayou Labattri. Jean Louise's aunt often held up cousin Joshua to her as a family example not lightly to be discountenanced. He was a splendid figure of a man. He was a poet. He was cut off in his prime. And Jean Louise would do well to remember that he was a credit to the family. His pictures did the family well. Cousin Joshua looked like a ratty Algernon Swinburne. Jean Louise smiled to herself when she remembered her father telling her the rest of it. Cousin Joshua was cut off, all right, not by the hand of God, but by Caesar's hosts. When at the university, Cousin Joshua studied too hard and thought too much. In fact, he read himself straight out of the 19th century. He affected an Inverness cape and wore jackboots he had a blacksmith make up from his own design. Cousin Joshua was frustrated by the authorities when he fired upon the president of the university, who in his opinion was little more than a sewage disposal expert. This was no doubt true, but an idle excuse for assault with a deadly weapon. After much passing around of money, Cousin Joshua was moved across the tracks and placed in state accommodations for the irresponsible, where he remained for the rest of his days. They said he was reasonable in every respect until someone mentioned that president's name. Then his face would become distorted. He would assume a whooping crane attitude and hold it for eight hours or more. And nothing or nobody could make him lower his leg until he forgot about that man. On clear days, Cousin Joshua read Greek, and he left a thin volume of verse printed privately by a firm in Tuscaloosa. The poetry was so ahead of its time no one has deciphered it yet. But Jean Louise's aunt keeps it displayed casually and prominently on a table in the living room. Jean Louise laughed aloud, then looked around to see if anyone had heard her. Her father had a way of undermining his sister's lectures on the innate superiority of any given finch. He always told his daughter the rest of it, quietly and solemnly, but Jean Louise sometimes thought she detected an unmistakably profane glint in Atticus Finch's eyes. Or was it merely the light hitting his glasses? She never knew. The countryside and the train had subsided to a gentle roll, and she could see nothing but pasture land and black cows from window to horizon. She wondered why she had never thought her country beautiful. The station at Montgomery nestled in an elbow of the Alabama, and when she got off the train to stretch her legs, the returning familiar with its drabness, lights, and curious odors rose to meet her. There's something missing, she thought. Hot boxes, that's it.
A man goes along under the train with a crowbar. There is a clank, and then white smoke comes up, and you think you're inside a chafing dish. These things run on oil now. For no reason, an ancient fear gnawed her. She had not been in this station for twenty years, but when she was a child and went to the capital with Atticus, she was terrified lest the swaying train plunge down the riverbank and drown them all. But when she boarded again for home, she forgot. The train clacketed through pine forests and honked derisively at a gaily painted bell-funneled museum piece sidetracked in a clearing. It bore the sign of a lumber concern, and the Crescent Limited could have swallowed it whole with room to spare. Greenville, Evergreen, Megham Junction. She had told the conductor not to forget to let her off, and because the conductor was an elderly,